You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, uh, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We have a previous alum and one of my most favorite guests, um, just for the fact that I really enjoyed her book and uh, took a lot of the lessons, not only from the podcast, but the book, The Source, um, and actioned it in my life uh, with one of my you know action boards. I made an action board for myself and all my kids, and then I constantly are updating them. And uh, just was really interesting in this idea of like, um, and I hate the term anti-aging. Like, I think that's such like a weird kind of deal because if you put it into like uh, Google, it gives you a bunch of weird like life extension clinics well, and all this like kind of ho- hokey let's stuff. Let's give but our like, guest a formal introduction. Uh, well, I, I was going to let I was going to let her do this. But so we welcome back Dr. Tara Swart, author of The Source, neuroscientist, and Power Athlete Radio, episode three hundred and thirty-seven. Look alum. at you pulling the number. Oh, I, I re-listened to it so we don't cover the same topics. It's a very interesting episode and awesome. We talk about goal setting. We talk about this neurolo- neuro- neurology, all this stuff that I neuroplasticity. don't understand. Neuroplasticity. And we're going to get a little bit deeper today. But Tara, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you guys. Well, uh, it was pretty wild. Like when we had you on, the book was pretty new. Three years ago. And then what's yeah. wild is uh, because I'm obviously, uh, you know, uh, I'm on social media, uh, the amount of like uh, just steam it's picked up and now people yeah. have really got into it. And all of a sudden, like I see you in different deals. So, I mean, it's been uh, it's been amazing to see your success, but also um, not surprising seeing as that when we read it, we thought it was amazing as well. You you saw it here first on Power at Power Athlete HQ. Um, as you were saying that, I was obviously very grateful and um, you know for my success. But sadly, I think it has probably been fueled by the mental health consequences of the pandemic. Mm. And so the book had come out in 2019, and towards the end of that year in the US, and then three six months later, all of our lives changed like beyond anything that we could believe and. There were so many issues, boundary issues, that's something we can talk about, Um, health anxiety, just chronic stress from not really knowing what was going on and, um, you know, not being able to travel, not being able to see loved ones, just all of those things. And I'm so concerned for people about the longer term consequences that that's going to have on our mental health and our, you know, our brain optimization. But I'm grateful at the same time that a lot of people turned to the source and, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, I've launched a new podcast called Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. So nice. that's really about being able to restart life or or change life because we have all had that pause, which we don't usually get in life. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts on, um, you know, like whatever went down. I like to believe that the people that were making these decisions were doing it with like, uh, you know, the best intentions. I just wonder if like, you know, the age old, like, um, you know, if the, the cure was worth, you know, the, uh, 
I guess you could say like the application in some ways, but it's just like, I, I look and I like, as I saw this, I'm like, I, I don't know if like, you know, the doomsday behind the door is worth what we're necessarily sacrificing with all of this. And I think, um, you know, the only way you really know is a couple of years down the road, you get a chance to mm -hmm. have a little bit of vision. And, uh, I, I agree with you in terms of like, um, you know, the fact that kids miss school, the interactions, even within my own kids. I mean, we pulled them out of out of public school because it was shut down and we sent them to a private school that was mm -hmm. in person because they needed to go interact with somebody other than their family and their parents. Mm -hmm. They needed to learn from somebody. And like the mass stuff was, um, was interesting. Um, you know, and that was kind of one of those things where you're like, all right, this is a necessary evil. It does the mask allow people if even though you, you can say if it works or if it doesn't, but does it allow people to have the confidence to go back out and maybe start restarting their lives? So I was in this like, ah, cause I weld and fabricate and uh, I wear an N95 mask when I do it. And there's metal shavings and, and dust in my mouth all the time and my nose. So like I knew, uh, like when they were giving me the science, I'm like, I can't even stop metal shavings to get in my mouth mm -hmm. from wearing an N95. How in the world are we going to allow this to, you know? So yeah. like that was my practical, but I also was like, well, all right, well, like if this gives people the confidence to try to restart their lives, like I understand if like you can pitch it to me in that way, because mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of people, I mean, I, I actually just, uh, a uh, friend of my wife's husband, complete agoraphobe now won't leave the house. Mm -hmm. And now they're getting a divorce because the guy won't doesn't want to reenter society, doesn't want to leave, doesn't want to go out. Once the kids, you know, they have a daughter, doesn't want her to go back to school. She was out of school for two years. I mean, pretty much divorcing him to try to get the kid. I mean, like the most insane stuff I've ever heard. Yeah. And like, that's more common than we know. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of relationship breakdowns under that magnifying glass of being stuck at home together. But I think there are more happening now because of, you know, you've given one example, but just people's different views and and you know we always like to talk about neuroplasticity neuroplasticity but people may have grown and changed differently in that time what they value may have changed and and that can break up friendships romantic partnerships you know other family members and there's just a lot of stress around there's a lot of people behaving in a way that they didn't behave before and i think some people have awareness of that, but the worst part is, is when you don't, and maybe you are being more irritable or aggressive and, or, you know, I don't know what it's like where, where you are, but it, the crime rate in London has, has gone up just unimaginably. So, you know, the fear around that, and, but also the understanding that that's happened because of a growing wealth gap and people are desperate and the cost of living is climbing at a crazy rate. So there's a, a lot, affecting our brains at the moment. Well, and then you also compound it with people self-medicating. Um, my brother is a criminal defense attorney and his like, he's like, man, the, like the lockdown and the pandemic and everything, the amount of like domestic violence, uh, alcohol related deals, like just shot through like 300 fold. And, uh, he's like, people were just sitting at home with nothing to do and, you know, drinking and, you know, doing drugs. And he's like, just the amount of like, uh, fallout from that has just been incredible just within the circle of his business and yeah. so uh that's a scary one It'd be quite interesting to ask your guests because they're so diverse what the single biggest thing is that they've noticed from what they do as a fallout of the pandemic because i remember once when i was still a junior doctor and i was a psychiatrist and one friend was a colorectal surgeon and one was a cardiologist and we all said what's the one thing that you would tell someone to do and um the colorectal surgeon said, eat fiber. 
the cardiologist said do exercise and mm. I said take vacations <laughs> uh, that's I mean that you're not wrong on those three things you know, I mean, if, uh, you know, I mean, but but what's wild is uh, there's so much conflicting information just on the first one. I mean, now you have these all people going into the carnivore diet who are trying to convince people now that plants and vegetables are bad for you and that fiber is somehow yeah. going to kill you. And yet we have all of this research that shows that people eat more fiber tend to be healthier and have less problems. Cooey bono. Right. So, I mean, like, the, you know, and then... Uh, uh, you know, exercise is pretty indisputable. I mean, uh, very difficult to dispute everything. People that exercise yeah. are generally healthier. Uh, well, not even generally, just 100% healthier for whatever reason. I mean, it's probably the one thing that we've found that is truly anti-aging. People that mm. exercise don't age at the same rate as people that don't. You know, you think of oxidative right. stress and taking vacations. Yeah, I mean, I'm never bad to vacation. What about you, Tex? I wish I could take one. But I keep you chained up here. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> The uh, moving on. So let's let's start with movement and the connection to the brain. And we're kicking this off. This is going to be close to our new year episode, Tara. And we want to start to make the connection between movement and brain health and just mm -hmm. getting the ball started. Momentum leading to, to movement and all these health benefits that we get to. So it's one thing when we're going to get to the awesome action board. But then it, it's that first step. It's making the decision to move. And then can you explain the benefits that explode from the brain that help lead to more movement, feeling better, and everything that we get to look forward to as fitness enthusiasts? Sure. So I'd actually like to start by prefacing that with the gut and the brain. So we know a lot more now about the gut-brain connection than we did even when I spoke with you guys in 2019. So... We know now that they communicate through nerve cells, through chemical messages called cytokine messaging, through hormones, and through other nerves than the main nerve that we thought connected the gut and the brain before. And also that it's bi-directional. So if you're emotionally stressed, then that can have an impact on the quality and diversity of your gut bacteria. And if you don't eat fiber or you eat a lot of processed food or you drink a lot of alcohol, or you take antibiotics for some reason, then because that affects the gut microbiome, that will have knock-on effects on the brain. Um, things like lowering mood, causing insomnia, anxiety, et cetera. So everything that you do, and that includes movement, your diet, um, sleep, um, drinking enough water, and having you know some anti-stress activities like mindfulness activities, they all, have an equally beneficial impact on your gut as well as your brain. So it might sound strange if I had just started off by saying doing aerobic exercise is good for your gut bacteria. But because the research has advanced so much since we last spoke, we do know that movement not only helps your, your bowels to you know, keep regular, but actually has a beneficial impact on the um, bacteria that you, the good bacteria that you have in your gut. So other things are that, I mean, uh, well, I'd like to also add in that one thing that's come up, a new, another new piece of research in the last couple of years is the benefits of spending time in nature. So if you can combine that exercise with being outdoors, particularly in you know, greenery or by a body of water, then not only is the, it likely that the pollution level is offset by the greenery and, and the um, body of water, but you'll be getting double benefits. 
So the benefits are things like lowering your heart rate, lowering your blood pressure, lowering your respiratory rate. And we really have to relate all of these things back to what happens to us when we're stressed. And we have been stressed in a way that no one that's living now has ever been stressed before. And one of the things that happens is shallow breathing or breath holding. So by having a discipline of moving or doing certain types of exercise, you're addressing the fact that, you know, I mean, I swim, for example, so I have to breathe consciously in a certain way because of the action of swimming. Um, so basically, if, if you exercise as opposed to being sedentary, then your digestion will be better, your sleep will be better, your mood will be better. Um, obviously, your cardiovascular health will be better as well. And aerobic exercise actually contributes to neuroplasticity. So there are several different physiological mechanisms for neuroplasticity. Many people will have heard of connecting up synapses and, you know, making new pathways. We kind of, you know, people like you will definitely have heard of myelination, which is, you know, sort of coating nerve cells with a fast conducting fatty layer. But neurogenesis is something that doesn't happen so much in the adult brain. If you think of a baby from the age of sort of naught to 18 months, it goes from being completely vulnerable and helpless to walking, talking, sometimes several languages, being able to control their own bowels and bladder, knowing when they're hungry, et cetera. Um, that rate of change obviously doesn't happen um, as much later in life. But if you regularly do aerobic exercise, or even if you take it up after a period of not having done aerobic exercise, you increase the rate of turnover of embryonic cells in the brain. Um, and that's what neurogenesis is. So it's growing baby neurons into fully formed neurons that can then connect up with existing nerve pathways in the brain. And depending on what the function is, they may or may not become myelinated. And then if we move away from just aerobic exercise and we look at other types of exercise, whether it's weight bearing, or it's something that involves coordination, or it's something that involves working in a team or a group, then there are different benefits to different parts of the brain from a variety of exercises. We're big into the weightlifting. I think well, uh, no, I mean, dude, I've, I've been, um, uh, we've been harping on this idea of building a large aerobic base. I mean, a few things happen as you age. One is you lose mitochondrial density, and we know that building a large aerobic base uh, improves mm -hmm. upon mitochondrial density. The other one thing that we lose is the ability to uh, recruit motor units, and that's why I like lifting weights and doing, you know, things that are dynamic, explosive, and, you know, moving in such a way that allows you to recruit those motor units. So, I mean, we found that a kind of a mix of those two types of training are one of the best mm -hmm. things for longevity. Uh, the other one is um, you know, learning new sports and like learning, mm. learning new, uh, um, uh, just like new practices. And I think that's, uh, that's been extremely interesting as we age, cause we kind of get stuck in this idea of like, well, maybe I'm too old to learn a new trick or, mm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm past that point. And so almost forcing yourself into, you know, sucking at something and taking on new tasks, I think is one of those major, major pieces for increasing neuroplasticity. Absolutely. And what I love about sporting practices is that it's very tangible. So you can see your improvement. It's obvious, whether it's you can lift more weights, whether it's you can do a circuit faster or better or, you know, um, and then you can align that to perhaps the less tangible things that you might want to achieve in life, whether it's around aging or happiness. So, for example, I 
um, got tennis lessons during the pandemic and I had played at high school, but <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, so two things happened. One was that I realized quite quickly that that muscle memory was still there. I could not have improved at another sport that I'd never played before in the same way that I improved at tennis. And, and then just seeing that every single time you play, you get better and better and better. And I started thinking, well, what else can I apply that to in my life? And, you know, it was easy to get down about things during the pandemic, whether it was that you couldn't go on vacation or whatever it was. And so I started applying it to having a, a more positive outlook on life. Um, I think I was naturally better at that before the pandemic, but it started to, you know, to wear on me and become a bit harder to, to notice the small things that were good and instead of focusing on the bigger things that were obviously bad. So it's really, I think, a great idea to take on a new sporting practice so that you can have markers of your improvement and then also take on something that's, there are less obvious markers, but, but you understand that the process is the same. Well, the other thing too is, um... Uh, I think we underestimated the value of community and social interaction. Um, mm. You know, I, I remember years ago when I first started my company, one of the first books that somebody gave me was called The E-Myth. You know, the idea that, uh, you know, we could have this, and I think it was uh, The E-Myth, and then there was also one from the guys that did Basecamp, this idea that, you know, you could run a virtual company with all these independent contractors and people mm. off-site, and, like, you didn't have to necessarily have, a, a, like, a core group of individuals in, in-house. And um, I kind of subscribed to that, and we had different contractors in places and outsourced, and we're trying to, you know, run this deal. And I think the one thing that the pandemic really showed us um, because we didn't shut down. So where we are in Texas, I don't know if you remember, um, mm -hmm. this building where our office is, is on my property, the gym and everything's kind of encased. So mm -hmm. nothing really changed, you know, cause we didn't shut down. Uh, so, you mm -hmm. know, guys still came and, you know, we still trained and did everything. Um, but I think what I've really noticed is that people lost those social interactions of going places mm -hmm. and meeting people and interacting. And, uh, I think that we kind of went into this idea of like, okay, no, this is okay. And then people came out and they're like, no, 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 like you need community and, um, you know, just have to go out and find new ways. And I think the idea of like, whether it's, you know, going to the gym and, you know, people miss those type of social interactions and just putting weights in your garage while we're huge fans of it. Maybe some people needed that social interaction for people to see them. Totally. Well, there was a group that took on the garage gym life and leaned on movement Mostly, uh, I mean, family goers, yeah. but then we had provided the opportunity and we know the value of movement, exercise, and the dangers of sitting on your couch, alcohol, self-medicating. So we provided with a $50 gym from Home Depot, yeah. <laughs> cinder blocks, concrete, a bucket, and then wrote training program, workouts for people to do and just gave it away for free. For free. Yeah. So they could continue to to train and get the benefits. Maybe they had the the um, maybe they they equipment them. or they didn't. But uh, the, so uh, give you a little backstory. We did some contracting for the U.S. military, and one of the stipulations was they had to have an austere training program, which means that they could train anywhere with ammo cans, uh, duffel mm. bags, uh, you know, weighted vests. And so when uh, the pandemic hit, we basically ported it. I called it third monkey because I figured like to get out of this thing, you're gonna have to be like the third monkey getting on the ark. And it just started raining. So it was just kind of a tongue-in-cheek deal. Uh, <laughs> but we gave the program away. And uh, it was really good because people started filming it and posting it to social. And we mm. realized that, like, people were fighting for this community, uh, which I think we've uh, established that we can do it online. But I just don't think that there is um, – 
I don't think there's a replacement for human contact or actually engaging somebody. And I'm sure, you know, within the psychology space, uh, you guys have looked at like how the brain reacts to, you know, a Zoom call versus having somebody in person. Yeah, I mean, we could take it back to evolutionary wiring. You know, we were built to um, exist in tribes. And there's also a reason that solitary confinement is the most cruel punishment that you can give to someone. Um, I think, you know, I think we did pretty well the way that we, a lot of us pivoted to to working online on Zoom or whatever it was. But you know, just even the actual like physical touch, like physical affection with another human being, we actually need that for our emotional well-being. Um, and, and what you could see in the body was that because of the stress hormone cortisol, a lot of people put on more weight around their belly because that's what that hormone does. And a lot of people had very dry skin and drier hair because when you have a lot of when you're stressed and you have a lot of cortisol, it's pro-inflammatory in the body, and part of that is that it's dehydrating as well. So, um, I was, you know, so consistently saying to people, bathe instead of shower because that immersion in warm water can replace some of the loss of, you know, not having physical affection. Um, <laughs> I got to take more baths. Yes. When was the last time you took a bath, McQuilkin? I need more baths, clearly. <laughs> you need a bath. What, yeah, to replace physical uh, uh, What's touch. wild is for my kids, uh, when my kids are, you know, like my son's six, my daughters are 11, and my son likes to take baths. Um, mm. like he'll like, uh, like given the option. And I remember my daughters were like that. And then there was a point where now they take showers. And uh, mm. I always thought that was kind of interesting when you said it. I was like, man, I wonder if there's a connection on that. But uh, maybe it's because little kids, like, he, you know, he's six, so he brings, uh, like, a, he's got a million toys he puts in the bath. And he realized, I was like, why do you like baths? He's like, because I can't play with the toys in the shower. And I was like, oh. Aww. So, no, I'd, uh, uh, the, um, but I mean, hang on, John, oh. I think we we missed something. A text was going to go, go oh, into oh, a conversation about his... Yeah, bathing. he was going to go into a conversation about his love life, saying that he has to have more baths without <laughs> getting any physical affection. My action Wait a board, minute, Doc. Did you reach out to him ahead of time? Let's get into this a little bit. <laughs> My action board is just the actress Gina Carano. It's, it's all I got going. Just a face? Uh, multiple pictures <laughs> and some candles. It's more like a shrine than I, an action I board. I think they call that stalking. <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't stalk her. I just worship her entire collection. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Uh, and it, so then. Doc's like, hey, uh, Tex, I'm going to shoot you my number. We're going to, you know, I, I have this uh, coaching service now. Maybe we can get into this a little. Well, you have stepped into the, the podcast realm and get the opportunity to connect with people and then pull out some amazing stories. And the theme is reinvent yourself. So talk to us about the, the objective here, and there's millions of podcasts out there, and why you chose the subject of reinventing yourself and go about selecting your guests. Thank you. Great question. And obviously, like, quite a new question for me, because I haven't been uh, doing the podcast for that long. There's only four episodes out at the uh, moment. When, uh, how long ago did you start it? I mean, four episodes recently, like a couple months ago? Uh, yeah, launched on September 21st, and I've oh. released an episode every um, fortnight so far. And there's one out this Wednesday, but I can't say here it is yet. Um, so it's basically stories of neuroplasticity. And I would say what's crystallized for me is that people tend to fall into three categories. So either a very obvious story of reinvention, either personally or professionally, 
or somebody who's kind of standing at a crossroads and might want some input from me from the cognitive science and the coaching on how to proceed. Um, and then I also like to have guests who are somebody that maybe you wouldn't expect, but is really, really interested and you know well read and knowledgeable on psychology and neuroscience. So of the guests that I've had so far, Tamara Mellon, um, who's the co was the co-founder of Jimmy Choo Shoes, she has read the source seven times and she reads psychology journals for breakfast instead of newspapers. And I don't think anybody would know that about her. So that was something I really wanted to showcase. Um, I had this, oh, this guy came to my house. This was incredible. He was six foot eight, a former professional rugby player. Um, and he revealed that his superpower is emotional intelligence. So I called him the gentle giant. But, yeah. you know, what a great example for people to see somebody who's six foot eight, bearded, tattooed, you know, played an aggressive sport for his job who will sit and say, actually, what I realized is that my emotional intelligence is my superpower. I always thought my um, lack of emotional intelligence was my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into the science behind the superpowers that, that Tara explains, but keep rocking and rolling. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Just making jokes. Um, then I had uh, Chanel Haynes, who is the woman who's been playing Tina Turner in London's West End. And she is very much into manifestation, which is, you know, making the things on your action board come true. And she read the source. She was very taken by the science of it. And I can't claim credit for this, but literally within about two weeks of reading it, she was invited to sing with the Rolling Stones. So that was an incredible story. Oh, wow. Um, and then my friend in Oklahoma City, Austin Winkler, he was the front man of um, Hinder, the American rock group. And he has an incredible reinvention story. I mean, he was in rehab eight times. He was on kidney dialysis. He was on the list for a new liver. Um, and he's completely turned around, turned his life around. And he's an incredibly kind, amazing human being. So, and we've actually co-written a song together. So for me to become or even feel like I'm a creative person has been a huge journey for me because for decades I didn't believe that I was. So although I had some mini successes along the way, being a podcast host and having co-written a song are probably the things that I'm proudest of. Right behind Power the Radio guests, right? Well, I mean, uh, so uh, the, I mean, it's, it's right up there at the top of achievements. I mean, you know, uh, Oxford, the whole deal, Power the Radio. Um, the one thing that uh, I've become really fascinated with and one of the questions that I have uh, is always like, how do we learn more and how do we learn faster? Like the action boards are incredible, um, you know, because you're like, you know, you're seeing reality and now, but there's also another step where now you, what you see, you you physically have to action. It's not like you're going to, you know, my action board isn't going to come true by me just sitting on the couch hoping that it knocks on the door. Like you have to put yourself into these situations. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, like let's say text wants to date Gina Carino, just merely putting up pictures of her and having candles isn't going to make that happen. You're going to have to like insert yourself in a situation where you might have the opportunity to meet that person. Cause she's not going to know she's not going to come knock on your door. So the idea of like learning and like manifestation and more importantly, like how do we, uh, make these things a reality? Mm -hmm. So that's actually why I call them action boards rather than vision boards, because 
I very much agree with you that you must do the things that you can and that you need to to try to make those things come true rather than create a, a fantasy and just wait for things to happen. Um, I'm going to separate those things because learning anything has global benefits for your brain. So let's say if you learned Spanish, it wouldn't only mean that you could go on vacation to Mexico more easily and have a better time, but you would actually have an impact on what, what are called the executive functions of your brain. So things like solving complex problems, regulating your emotions, overriding your conscious and unconscious biases, making good decisions, thinking more flexibly, thinking more creatively. Um, so trying to take on a new learning proactively, a little bit like you know starting to move more. So if you go into the new year and you say, okay, in the first three months of the new year, this is, you know, my, these are my exercise goals. And then for the next three months, you change it or increase it to something else. And by the end of the year, you've probably, you've done sort of, you know, four, you have four new types of exercise in your life. So if you take on new learning, you're making your brain better because you're putting it through an intense effort and that's making it basically grow and change. And again, there's a parallel with applying that to things like dating or networking or, you know, putting yourself out there in the world to be able to act on the opportunities that will lead you to whatever's on your, your action board. And, and success kind of accumulates, doesn't it? So once you start manifesting some of the things on the action board, you feel more confident about being able to do the others. Or if there are some shorter term ones or ones that are easier for you to make them real, then your confidence is boosted and you are more likely to take a healthy risk to achieve a bigger goal or not lose motivation when there's a longer term one that's not coming true yet. Is, um, is there a relationship between that desire to learn? Cause I've, I mean, I've met people that, um, you know, were 25 who had no interest in learning anything more. And I met people in their forties, fifties and sixties that were like voracious and trying to like constantly digest and learn new skills. Mm. Um, you think, I mean that for me, uh, just observationally, I find that the people that are open to learning new skills and you know, putting themselves out there. And, you know, the analogy, I wrote a blog post years ago called always be a white belt. If you're constantly searching for things to learn where you have to be a white belt and then, you know, go through the journey of like, I don't know anything to self-discovery and mastery. Like that is the, you know, the fountain of youth, um, to use an analogy, like that's the secret to staying young. And like, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I like anytime, uh, I hear the word anti-aging, it just like reminds me of like some weird doctor trying to, you know, sell drugs or, you know, some other, weird thing. But I mean, for the most part, like if we want to talk about starving off aging and more importantly, not aging at a rate that, you know, was, uh, you know, puts you in the grave at 70, that feels like a pretty good application for it. Yeah. And I, I would use the word curiosity. So, you know, staying curious for life. And, and I also think it's really important more so now the way that life is to, to stay at the edge of understanding how new technologies work so that, you know, you don't become outdated. I agree with you. The word anti-aging, it has too many bad um, correlations now. But when I was 30, I started what I called a reverse aging diet. And it's not it's nothing mysterious. It's, you know, nutrition dense, plant, mostly plant based, high quality food with lots of antioxidant foods and water rich foods and good fats and no smoked food. Don't you grow your um, own food? Um, I think I read I something that you have a garden and you grow your own food. 
I have a greenhouse, yeah. So I grow a lot of my own food. I, I, I love that kind of hunter-gatherer feeling of going to the greenhouse, seeing what's ready, and then having to cook based on that that day. And I also compost. So I'm seeing this real cycle with nature, which is very satisfying. Um, so, yeah, and then I think, you know, the so basically I think that you can age physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I would say that I would agree with you guys that the best way to age gracefully or whatever we're going to call it um, for physical aging is movement and exercise, including weight bearing exercise because of loss of muscle tone, you know, even for women at a certain age. And then mentally, emotionally and spiritually that I think that element of curiosity would contribute to mental, you know, mentally not aging as much. And then emotionally, I think it's about regulating emotions. And spiritually, I think it's about the fact that usually after the age of 65, 70, the way that you remember things does change. And some people find that really distressing, but especially now with smartphones and things, it's, it doesn't have to be such an issue, but your wisdom and your intuition become like super highways. And so really focusing on that as a gift, um, and using that to guide your life. I think those four things could be really great ways to age. And of course, you know, I come from a culture where age is revered. So it's it's very different to Western culture where it's sort of as only, you know, a bad thing and a downturn and related with like disease and being useless in society. Um, oh, I went to Sardinia, which is a blue zone. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found out there is that even pe so Sardinia is interesting because it's not just that it has a high number of people who are over the age of 100, but the ratio of people who are aged over 100 in Sardinia is one to one for men and women, whereas in the USA, it's one to five. So there are five times as many women who reach the age of 100 as men, but in Sardinia, it's equal. And there's, you know, they live that hunter gatherer way. They only eat what they can like hunt fish and harvest. Um, community is a huge part of what, you know, keeps them well, but also it, it doesn't matter if honestly, if you're 99 or hundred, you still have to do tasks that help the family like gardening or babysitting. And that must be very key to mentally, emotionally and spiritually aging better than most of the rest of the world. Well, the, um, so we're fortunate. Um, my neighbor has a horse school. Um, so she, um, you know, 60 horses and hundreds of girls and I think like two boys show up and they, uh, uh, it's English. So they jump and hunter gather a deal or not hunter, um, what's it called? Uh, hunter jumper. And, uh, so these kids show up and, um, Kathy who runs the barn, uh, super wise, like 65 years old, um, you know, had kids has done this for years and she always, you know, we're not necessarily teaching kids how to ride. Like I'm teaching like you, like these kids, how to be adults and take care of, you know, not only the animal and the grooming and like it's there, there's a whole process mm -hmm. involved. Um, the one thing that she always told me was because uh, we've woken up some mornings and some of the horses have just died in the pasture. And so mm -hmm. on, on occasion they die. I mean, but 
all animals die. We all die. So like yeah. they just get old and they, you know, but she said the one interesting thing is that as long as the horse has a purpose and a job, they're fine. So like, um, you know, it's like when the kids come and get them and they groom them and like, you know, they ride them and, you know, whether it's flatting or jumping, whatever it is, as long as the horse is actively like in the program working with the kids, uh, the horse has a purpose. It knows what it's doing and it's happy. The minute that the horse like either gets, you know, too arthritic or gets old or, you know, some of them just get sour, um, they end up like turning them out to pasture. Those horses, like once they get turned out and they don't have a purpose, they just end up passing away. And, um, it's always the horses that like she turns out that were, you know, 18, 20 years old that have jumped and worked their whole lives and had a purpose. And then all of a sudden they no longer have a purpose and they end up just passing away. And it's, uh, it's always a real sad deal. And she's like, you know, if I can keep them working, like I, like they'll live forever as long as there's kids coming and getting them, you know, grooming them, putting them through. And she's like, you know, and then of course she's like, it's a lot like adults. You know, it's like, like old people too, you know, like the yeah. minute that they don't have a purpose anymore and there's nothing to live for and they're not included or, or, uh, you know, have something to daily get up for, um, you know, it's probably just time to go. And, uh, that was extremely like one of those interesting life lessons that as she's explaining it, you're like, Oh man, like, uh, you got to wake up. I remember my dad told me years ago, um, so my dad was a practicing attorney for 55 years. And, uh, he said, you know, the worst thing that happens is when lawyers retire, they usually die within six to 18 months. Mm. And he goes, um, and my dad's like, I'm going to live forever cause I'm going to work forever. And sure enough, he, uh, tried his last case and three days later got diagnosed with uh, stomach and liver cancer and passed away two months later. Oh. I mean, it yeah, I mean, it, it was quick. Um, but like he like thought he had indigestion. I got to finish this case, finishes it, gets diagnosed and was gone shortly thereafter. But he literally mm -hmm. worked. And he, that, that was his goal. He was 80 years old. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, and it's, it's so sad I don't get to see him, but like he lives such a kick-ass life. Like I think uh, in this Western culture, there's this like a weird association with like, you know, dying in this. And I'm like, dude, people are here for a short period of time and they get to have their impact. And, you know, yeah. like uh, instead of feeling sorry for it, you kind of cherish the time you had together, but realize that like it's kind of sad where all of a sudden, you know, but then we've also seen it with young people. Uh, we saw it during the pandemic where, you know, people lost their jobs and this, and it's like, like, I think that's a real thing that you have to feel useful or you become kind of useless and it's time to kind of pass on. So the idea of like staying curious, but I'll tell you, having kids, uh, has been super impactful for that reason alone, because I'm always amazed at their curiosity and the things and like, mm. whether it be the games that they come up with or this, or my son's uh, three day fantasy with trying to, or fa fascination with trying to come up to figure out how to make the best paper airplane. So we made dozens of paper. Okay. So we got online. He had a paper airplane. We got online, looked at all these different designs and started making them to try to see which one would fly. Cause he wanted to know what was the most efficient paper airplane. I mean, that type of stuff to me is like, I'm in like, he's like, dad, yeah. can you help? And I'm like, yes, I'm to what's wrong with this thing. <laughs> we fight it back. Uh, but like that kind of curiosity, Mm. Um, of kids, I think is so infectious because it reminds me to be continue to be curious about everything. And I think like we can just go stuck within this kind of feed loop. And then all of a sudden stuff happens and you're like, sure, let's take 30 minutes and figure out how to make paper airplanes. Yeah. And actually the, um, the podcast episode that's coming out this week, I mean, it, your episode isn't going to air till after it anyway. So I can say who it is. It's um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, the stem cell biologist who uh, does his research mostly in epigenetics. And yeah, so he's obviously quite interested in aging well, um, too. And one of the things he said was about the imagination of children. 
that you know they'll pour an empty teapot into a into a cup and then pr pretend to drink it and say it's the most delicious tea that they've ever drunk in their lives and that really stuck with me because I think um, you definitely lose that a lot as an adult as well, don't you? Well, the um, so uh, recently, um, uh, Chris is kind of my partner in this thing. Uh, we were approached by some local guys to work with some athletes, and uh, they're um, one of the dudes is a real high level Brazilian jiu jitsu player, and so he mm -hmm. he came to us. He's a two time world champ, pretty young guy, and was having some uh, like needed what we do uh, to kind of mm -hmm. help him continue on his on his path uh but the one thing that is interesting for me if they're going to learn from us we should learn from them so we picked up and started going and training with these guys and uh it's extremely frustrating educating and humbling to uh to learn an entire different skill set because all of my um combative fight stuff has always been on my feet uh, with either boxing, you know, playing football and all the stuff that I did. So actually having to be on the ground in these situations, I, uh, like it's so frustrating, but then I leave there and I think like, uh, and I was thinking about like neuroplasticity and, and the reason I keep going isn't necessarily to, cause I enjoy getting choked out or making feel like I am, you know, whatever. Uh, it's the idea of like acquiring a new skill, humbling yourself, being a white belt and increasing neuroplasticity by picking up a new skill. And I feel like if you can continue to, you know, pick up new skills, learn new people, like, you know, in this constant state of learning, like to me, I mean, that, that's that got to be what this thing's all about. I mean, it feels like where all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm too old or I can't do this or, or uh, no, nah, I don't want to learn a new skill or I don't want to go to a new place or I don't want to do this. Like, I feel like that's the, that's the split in the road to say. I completely agree with you. And it's so interesting, fascinating to me that we come from such different backgrounds and you know what we've done and learned in our lives but i would i would use those exact words i mean i'm thinking i've been doing some filming in la and oklahoma city this year and there's this one scene where i say that you can get to a point in your life where you plateau and everything can stay the same and that can be a good point but to me that would be the worst thing that could happen to me yeah. Um, so, you know, continually learning, evolving, growing, changing is to, to me exactly what life is all about. Uh, well, I have a question, Tara, and I, I mm. know, know your background where you left medical school and created this opportunity for yourself. And there, there was an interview I listened to you with you where uh, one of your colleagues commented on that, you know, you could do this job in your sleep. Mm. And that, that was a, a powerful statement for you. So my question is, like what, what differentiates that moment where you can do this job in your sleep mm -hmm. versus a superpower where you are so good and the world needs what you're doing, but then you're not necessarily in a position to be satisfied with that position? Yeah. Um, well, an immediate personal example came to mind. So that was a job. That was a skill that I was, no, that was a job and it involved many skills, and I had become quite expert at them over that period of time. What I noticed with the podcast, and actually my first husband, who was also a psychiatrist, said, gave me this feedback, is that, and this is more of a superpower, is the ability to listen to people in a way that draws 
the best out of them, draws something out of them that they've never told anyone else before that doesn't involve me trying to match everything that they say or ask smart questions, but is but comes from a genuine interest in that person's mind and that person's brain. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that you could keep doing forever and it would never feel like you're doing that in your sleep. It's quite attention intense, so it doesn't feel like you're doing it in your sleep. But also there's no limit to what where that could go. And that's exciting. Um, but to be honest, when I chose to specialize in psychiatry, I thought I would find that fascinating for the rest of my career. But then I just I realized that the subject matter wasn't going to change sufficiently over 30 or 40 years and that that would be a plateau for me. Um, so it's possible that, you know, that could change for me again. I think you can get to a level where something's a superpower and maybe then that does become too easy and you want a new superpower. <laughs> What do you think, Tex? What, what prompted you to ask that question? Well, the, the, the track of learning new skills. So then, um, but then realizing like there's still benefit to what you are good to then give to the world. Mm. So I suppose just thinking and working through connection to what would be jujitsu that John's picking up now and then his previous career, which is a, uh, what, what would you say? Master of violence. Yeah, no, I, I, I played, um, I played in the NFL for 10 years and, uh, yeah. I was not necessarily, I, I never categorized myself as a football player one because I never got to touch the ball or maybe a few times, <laughs> but, uh, I like, I just looked at like what I was really good at was, um, uh, I create or I can find calmness in violence and in, in chaos. Mm -hmm. So it like basically put me into this situation where I get to like one-on-one -on -one fight a dude 70 times over three hours, uh, was extremely appealing and very like, I don't know, like there was just a Zen piece for it. Like I never heard the crowd. Um, I, like I never heard the roar. I never heard like the, the stress and all like the, you know, the chaos, like I found a, a lot of like silence and simplicity in it. And, yeah. uh, it was like, uh, an easy way to tune out the world and just focus on one task and like every, everything just kind of like slowed down and it was just really, really simple. And, uh, I've only ever felt that in extremely stressful and violent situations. Um, and it's, uh, like, so I used to, or I, and so I tried to explain this to somebody and I, the comment I made was like, wasn't necessarily a, a you know, uh, you know, like a, you know, I was good at what I did. I wouldn't say football player. I was just better at like mastering violence and the kind of chaos. And, um, the interesting thing about it is I had done it for so long that I was so surgical in the way it was done. But now all of a sudden picking up this new, uh, this new skill that is an exact opposite. So as an offensive lineman and the sport that I played, the single worst position for me to ever end up on is me on my back with somebody mm -hmm. on top of me. That means mm -hmm. somebody's knocked me down. And like, that's like, this, like, like at that point, like everything's gone, gone wrong. Uh, so to actually voluntarily end up in that or start in that position, like we're doing in, in the, in the training we're doing with these, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guys, uh, every time I lay down and somebody gets me like lays on top of me, I have this like moment of, uh, of terror where like I had, like, I, like, I feel like, oh shit, like this is bad. And then I have to like, kind of like relax myself. And I'm like, this is the process. And so that, that alone is like me conquering something that like was so ingrained in me to never happen. 
Uh, so there's like a weird humbling for it and like to be in a position. And then also I, I have a, um, you know, like, like I said, like you're in these situations, I have clarity to where as I'm in this, I know that I'm bigger, stronger and faster than anybody else I'm going to come up against. But then I also know that that's a crutch that if I don't master the technique and the movement, then what happens if I meet somebody like me that knows more than me? So like, uh, you know, like, let's say I'm, I'm like last night I rolled with a guy that was uh, real good, like a blue belt, uh, smaller. And, um, I kept like relying on like my strength and, and just athleticism to be able to basically get myself out of things. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then I had this moment of clarity of like, if you keep doing this, you're never going to master, uh, the art of this. And yeah. so I have to put myself into like a vulnerable situation where I do, cause I don't know as much. And so then I got yeah. choked out three times because, uh, I was put myself into the situation of not using my, my gifts, but relying upon the skill that I don't have. And I was like, well, this is the medicine I need. But and you were still using, so this is where my train of thought for the question is you were still using your gifts as calm under pressure, move, understanding of movement, similar to how Tara was using her gifts in psychology. It's listening. Yeah. And now you're listening to then pull out the best in people. So yeah, just that's where the question came from is helping, I guess, maybe where one people would view, view their skill as their superpower, but finding some underlying thing. Because we work with a lot of former professional athletes, military, that their identity is so wrapped up in their job. Mm-hmm. And then they life throws them a curveball, an injury cut or the end of their term, whatever that may be. And they still are identifying that. And that's when they shoot down into some big hole that they dug themselves, unfortunately, mentally, and not seeing that they still have components, superpowers that they got from their previous career or identity that can be utilized to still empower other people. Well, I mean, if Doc had stayed um, just working in psychology or, or psychiatry and working with these individual patients and hadn't pulled herself out, she wouldn't have written this book or really gone on this journey, which is probably kind of similar to what happened to me when we retired. We were working with individual athletes and I realized that my ability to influence people was only limited by the people that showed up to my, you know, within the confines of four square walls. Exactly the same. And then we took it out and I was like, you know what, I want the ability to, and the analogy I gave is like, if there's a still pool, I can throw a pebble or I can throw a huge boulder. And so how do I make bigger ripples? How do I throw a bigger boulder? Mm -hmm. And that was actually going out and putting out uh, the original methodology and all the information online for free and then traveling the world and meeting people and influencing them. Because I realized if I only work with 50, but if I worked with 50 every weekend and shoot it out to tens of thousands, that the Mm -hmm. ripple could be much bigger. And so my ripple, especially we do here at Power Athlete, is much bigger because our ability to influence a whole bunch more so than just a few individuals within the confines of where we work so I, I kind of imagine her in that same deal yeah it was it was exactly the same thought process and what I really like love about you Tex is that you don't say much and then you come out with something really <laughs> profound and I'm glad we got that on tape. And John, <laughs> and John, you just talk and say nothing profound. <laughs> no, John you're, John, you're extremely knowledgeable and you've got a very like varied, you know, sort of knowledge base. I love that too. But it's just, it's really interesting to me because your Texas question led to something, which is the kind of thing I would like to do on Reinvent Yourself, which is this analogy that was drawn out of John about what he thought was going on when he was calm under pressure. And then... I was sort of starting to think, well, I don't think John's doing jujitsu because he's going to bring jujitsu to the world, but he's actually 
brought this beautiful understanding to the world about how you may have to surrender your superpower to actually grow. Yeah. Oh, it's um, it's uh, uh, like a, like the, the. Do you remember the cartoons where like a little angel pops up on one shoulder and a little devil mm. Uh, mm. happens to me the entire time? Where like I'll hear one voice, it's like fucking smash him, and then it's mm. like that's not why you're here. Mm. You you know like you're here to be a student and learn, and that there's like a maturation process, and if you fucking circumvent it, and then the other guy's like no, smash him, and it's like this constant battle, and I have to like surrender, which is is difficult, and you have to like humble yourself and learn, and and uh, the the individuals that we're training uh, are also my instructors. So it was funny last night. Um, Philippe uh, taught our class. And as we were going through the stuff, he like pulled me and he's like, Hey coach, come and let's do this demo. And so this dude, people look at me and he keeps calling me coach. Uh, cause we trained them. And, uh, um, it was just funny during class. He kept saying that one dude's like, why are you calling coach? I'm like, cause I train these knuckleheads. And, uh, they were like, it's, I, I don't know. It's just kind of strange, but these guys are so talented at what they do that, uh, it's allowed me to realize within our training, like what I need to do to help them grow. And, uh, the only exactly. way, the, the only way that I would know how to help them is by physically like doing this and humbling myself to see from the ground up. And, uh, and then it's like, you know, like I was a high level athlete. I like to think I was one of the baddest dudes on the planet. And now here I am like letting some dude choke me out that I would actually smash because I'm not willing to like go to what my strengths. Yeah. It's like this, um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of thought process. Like good thing I have like about 30, 40 minutes to drive there and home cause it's kind of far away. Uh, but it's yeah. good because as I drive, I reflect on all this and, um, I have to like literally talk myself into it that, you know what, like this is probably, uh, you know, and, and having you on the podcast has been great, but like, this is part of like that physical action board of humbling yourself. And I think when people look at the action board and like, I thought that was great. It's not a vision board, it's an action board, but like seeing yourself like, uh, you know, people reach out to us constantly looking for training solutions to accomplish a goal. And one of the ones I got the other day was a guy who was like, you know, um, I booked this elk hunt with my brother and we're going to go hunt this big elk and I'm not fit enough to do it. And I got two years to get in shape. Like, what should I do? And, uh, you know, they want to like put on packs and, and, you know, go hike for two weeks in the back country and, you know, pull down a thousand pound animal and bring it out. And I mean, it's a lofty goal and we've worked with people before, but like, where do we start? And it's like, all right, like, you know, like, what's your physical fitness? Are you healthy enough to do it? Like, what's the process to get them there? And I think it's interesting that people reach out to us um, to be their solution. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that's really interesting is like having something like an action board where you put it up and then realizing like this is the action, but there has to be a plan to get me from point A to point B. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what exactly. we do really well. Yeah, I think you, I think you do. I mean... You know, as you can imagine, that recently the amount of requests for me to be on podcasts is is overwhelming. But as soon as text reached out, it was an immediate yes. Um, well, it's because we connected on Clan of the Cave Bear uh, within the first <laughs> two minutes. Still, still one of is still one of my favorite books. And I remember when Same. I mentioned it when we were talking about evolution. I always have thought about it like that because I'll meet people like I. These guys laugh, but I'll call people like uh, trochodytes, you know, like cave dwellers, which is like the Neanderthals. 
And, you know, and like, it's still like, I still use those analogies when she's sitting there counting and the guy can't get, what was it past five or nine or something? And she goes and counts, you know, but that's like the evolutionary stuff. So I know that's where we connected on Clan of the Caper. So that's why you're like, oh yeah, those guys are pretty switched on. At that point, you're like, who are these monkeys having us on the podcast? And they're like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. The first time when we started speaking, I I did think, what am I doing on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, uh, you know, it's a performance podcast and it's based on strength conditioning, but like, I think people just equate that to the body. Whereas, you know, we're in this Mm -hmm. constant evolution of mind and I've really, um, I mean, like it, obviously the journey started before, but your book was a piece of it. This idea of like, if it's, you know, cause when people think, and I think the reason that that word anti-aging kind of like gives me a little goosebumps is because it's always based on what the physical you can see. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that the, the physical is a manifest of the mental, that if you can create neuroplasticity and stay young and curious within the mind, that, yeah. uh, that becomes, you know, like the physical manifestation. Um, you know, Michael Rose, um, you know, uh, who's a, a PhD on evolutionary biology, gave an incredible talk uh, at the Ancestral Health Symposium I was at, the idea of like, and he, he's got a bunch of books on like, you know, how to starve off uh, aging and goes through this whole deal. And one of the things is like, if your perception of yourself is old, you will manifest as being old. If what you look in the mirror is sees old and you feel old and you tell yourself you're old, you end up becoming, you know, the manifestation of all of these things, you know, the age old, uh, you know, Book of Five Rings, Mushiashi, which was like, don't speak ill about yourself or the warrior within will start to believe. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I butchered that quote, but. Um, there is a study about that, which I could share, but, but as you were speaking and said, you know, we're, we're about strength conditioning. Well, I'm about mental resilience. And to me, it's, they are one and the same thing. Um, and because of the brain body connection, even if my field of research is more mental resilience, that does include your body having to be in optimal condition for your brain to to thrive but um this is my favorite study ever and it was on three groups of people who were in their 80s so octogenarians and one group were the control group so they just stayed at home and lived like normal for a week one group were moved to homes that looked like their homes did 20 years ago And they had photographs of themselves when they were in their 60s. They read newspapers from that decade. Um, And there were things like when they were driven to the home, um, immediately, you know, they would say, okay, well, is is somebody going to help me carry my suitcase up the stairs? No, you're in your 60s now. You can carry your own suitcase. So they had to figure that out. And then there was also a group that just thought about being 60 instead of 80 for a week. And the group that lived in the retrofitted homes for only one week, at the end of that week, were taller, stronger, faster, so their musculoskeletal coordination was better. When they had before and after photos taken and shown to people that didn't know them, they were rated as younger in the after photo by everyone. And the group that just thought about being younger, they also had some benefits, but not as striking. So your perception of yourself ends up becoming the manifestation of who you are. Yeah. I got uh, questions now. Uh, well, ask them. I'm really seeing as that you've been dubbed and uh, anointed as the intelligent thought leader of this podcast. I'm excited to hear these. You better start <laughs> machine gunning these out at her, seeing as we have you know Doc here on the podcast. 
Look, Terrible. I'm just trying to wing woman him for this actress <laughs> that he's in love with. Well, you know what, Tex? You put it out into the universe, and I and That's just the, just with. the way that I know things work, uh, Doc is going to somehow meet this girl through something, whether it be a <laughs> podcast or deal. And she's like, you know what? I've heard your name before. I need to Google her. Tell me her name again. Gina Carano, American Gladiator, <laughs> actress. Okay, I'm going to look her up afterwards. Okay, right. and my question here. Or thoughts, thoughts become your reality. And I, I coach a lot of teenagers. And one observation calling back from earlier where kids have this curiosity where they can create this fantastic tea out of nothing. And then now here we are, fast forward 10 years or so, I'm working with 16-year-olds. And they have a, a challenge of envisioning success, envisioning opportunity, envisioning mm -hmm. a, a potential of what they can be and manifest on the field. So sometimes you just want to shake them and get them out of their thought process of that they, they, you know, the, they can't, or I can't do that or no way, or they just defeat themselves before the competition even begins versus this personality. So, you know, you want the best for them. So what are some actions that uh, a coach like myself who has very limited contact per week, Versus mm -hmm. any other influences that they may have, whether it be do you think this is a new phenomenon or, or or this is a static? No, no but the ten year gap where a teenage mm -hmm. a kid goes from my imagination it's real to now I have an over uh, I've dug this valley for myself. I got a theory on this, but I'll, I'll throw it in after. Well, um, actually, there's a couple of things I'd like to reflect on. So, John, if you go first, I'm just going to make sure I recall the points that I'd like to make. Oh, uh, I was going to say I, I sometimes worry about this with my own kids with due to uh, um, technology and iPhones and this. I mean, I remember growing up that we had like six channels on TV and we turned it on. And there was never anything good on. So we didn't really watch much TV. We just went out and did stuff. Whereas now with like Netflix and all these like streaming, like there's always something good on. They have devices. I mean, there's so much technology that uh, I'm so scared that my kids are never bored. I remember we would be like bored, I'm bored. Well, let's go do mm. something. And we would find mm. and we would create stuff out of boredom, whether it be games, we'd go to our friend's house, we'd get on bikes, we had adventures, we, we went and just did crazy shit, whether it be like throw lemons at cars and run away when they chased us. <laughs> but like where it like, not that I'm advocating that, but like now today, like there's never a moment where the kids are bored, which I wonder is stymied their ability to like imagination, the, uh, the well, Peter in, Pan deal. But in line with performance, they can still watch NFL. They can still watch, you know, professional leagues and create this opportunity of I can go play college. I but can go play pro. It's because maybe the fact that that I I really believe in Derek Woodsky made this great comment to me once. He's like, I sometimes wonder if I hadn't been bored growing up in a small town in Canada, if I would have been able to like imagine the life that I've created. And so that's kind of where I, I worry sometimes with my own kids. And I, as you were telling me this kid, I mean, these kids, I'm like, these kids have grown up in the iPhone technology age where I don't know if they had to cultivate the, uh, the fantasies and like, you know, like the images of like, you know, our buddies showing up and playing flag football and everybody. And that's it. Know? Just like pretending in the backyard that it's the fourth quarter. I'm Tom Brady. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And, and we, we did all that. I mean, we had, uh, um, you know, we saw, uh, like, a Mike Tyson fight and we set up a ring in our friend's backyard and somehow Just found bunching, uh, yeah, other. beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> right. To try to be like, uh, like we had, 
like I remember, you know, Doug, I don't want to like take too much, but like, I remember we had like, uh, all, all of our friends, we all had bikes. And so we didn't know where people were. So you just kind of rode bikes and tell you where you found all your friends' bikes were. And you just knocked on the door and you went in. And then I remember we were going to play a game called ditch em, where it's like you divide into teams and it's like you throw something, it hits somebody. And then it's kind of like a tag game. Um, we didn't have anything. So like, I remember like at one point we just were like using people's shoes. We're like, well, just give me your shoe. And you're like, all right, well, let's throw shoes at each other. And then it turned into people just taking their shoes off and us riding bikes and throwing shoes at each other. Hilarious. It was so stupid. Like, I don't know, like with technology, if like they'd be forced to have to figure out, let's ride bikes and throw shoes. It seems like a good idea. Everybody has two, you get two chances and then you're trying to ride your bike and not kill yourself when you're running with shoes. So So, like the the challenge though, is like, I'm telling these kids the possibility I'm having them write a goal, but it's, you know, they, they still default to the, the negative, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think, I think there's an element of truth to what you've both said. I, I do think that there's still a big gap between a six-year-old and a 16-year-old in terms of their mindset. Um, but I do also believe that technology is really complicated things for this generation. Um, I'm actually going to go back to a piece of really old sports psychology, which is very much backed up by neuroplasticity now. And that has four points to it. So the first one is, if the child says something like, or the teenager says something like, I can't do it, ask them to think about a time that there was something they thought they couldn't do, but then they ended up able to do it. Because there should be some examples of that in their sporting life so far. If there really isn't an example of of that, something similar to that, then think of another person that, that you either know or you know their story who's overcome a similar challenge. And the closer that that person, the more they can identify with that person. So, you know, if it's Tom Brady, then they, you know, they have a lot of admiration for that person. They followed their career. They have, you know, some similarities in what they'd like to achieve. Then that's helpful. Then it's about the negative self-talk in your head. So whether it's, I can't do it, it would be about digging below that thought and trying to get out what the belief is that's driving that thought and then creating an affirmation that is the positive statement that will help them to achieve the thing that they're trying to achieve. And the fourth part is something that we've mentioned over the last hour or so several times, which is the brain-body connection. So making sure that they, and it's hard with teenagers, you know, that they're getting adequate sleep, that they're eating healthily, that they're drinking enough water, that, that they you know, normally I would say as a blanket statement that they have like some time for like simplicity and mindfulness, but actually I think I'll go back a little bit more to what John said, which is that they have some screen free time so that they, you know, have to be in a different way. And, and also I just feel like there's so much pressure on kids and, you know, even if it is the one thing is I could play the sport at college, there's so much competition and pressure and expectation. So, you know, trying to help them to deal with that as well. I, um, as you're talking, I, uh, was laughing, thinking about, um, my son is six and, uh, he, uh, started basketball. So like he's in basketball. So we went to go get him basketball shoes. And I realized because we live here in Texas and it's pretty hot that they either wear flip-flops or sandals all the time. And I didn't realize he didn't know how to tie his shoes. So we were at there, I got him on the basketball and, um, I, I don't know why, like he just wears like these like green, I don't know, rubber shoes cause everything's dusty and dirty and we don't wear shoes yeah. in the house. Um, 
that's another weird one for me. Uh, um, uh, we'd ever wear shoes in the house because, uh, like, it just seemed gross that you would track the world in. But so my mm-hmm. kids don't wear shoes. Um, it's also better for their feet and like, you know, development. And there's like, you know, we've got all this stuff with foot stuff. So I realized that he doesn't really wear act like normal type shoes. He wears like maybe slip on vans. And then we went in there and I realized he didn't know how to tie his shoes. And I was like, dude, you don't know how to tie your shoes. He's like, no, I like, you're six years old. I just didn't realize it. So uh, we were working on tying his shoes and that was like, a huge meltdown. I don't want these shoes. I'll never be able to do it. And I was like, dude, so oh, now wow. over the last three days, we like every, we've been doing, I'm like, we're just going to microdose. We're going to do five minutes mm. every opportunity. And it took him like probably three days and now he can tie his shoes. And like it, oh. w- it went from this like crying, I don't want these and yeah. you know, I'll never be able to do it. It's too complicated. And then I'm like, okay, well like, let's just put them in the box. We'll take them home. And then it's like, brings them over. Let's learn to tie the shoes. And then we worked on it for a little bit. He got frustrated. We changed, uh, we were like in one room, let's go sit on the couch. Let's go sit outside. I was trying to change orientations. Let's go outside, you know, like let's go different places. And then finally, like he finally got it. And, uh, like the amount of like pride and, uh, like he was beaming, like I've somehow accomplished this. And I was like, dude, this is by far the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. Like once you learn to tie your shoes, everything after this is going to be easy. And he's like, really? And I'm like, no, but let's just start here. And, uh, he did great. He went to basketball. He tied his own shoes. Uh, he came home, he showed me, he showed his mom. And like that piece of like, uh, I mean, like I got three kids. Like I just didn't even, like it didn't even register until we went to go buy him shoes. I'm like, you've never had, wait a minute, you played basketball, you played soccer. And then I realized like, oh, they were low tops. He just slipped his foot in. And so like that piece of like, you know, learning a new skill. And I'm like, here's a skill that you're going to develop at this age. You'll have to tie your shoes and tie everything. Like you'll have to tie like bows and knots. I mean, at some point, you know, like you're going to have a little girl and you're going to have to tie this, you know, in her hair. It was just, it's, uh, as you're talking about these things, like I just like that hit me and I'm like, man, I just had to teach my little boy how to tie shoes. And like, that should be something you should have learned way younger. We just, don't really live in, you know, it's so hot here all year round that they just wear flip-flops and sandals. Yeah, he didn't have to. And I think just going back to Tex's original question, that that process of I'm crying, I don't want to do this, it's, I'll never be able to do it. And then getting over the, you know, the hurdle and feeling so pleased with yourself that you can. And then obviously it becomes something that you don't even think twice about. That That's something that these 16-year-olds are going out, go, are going through. And... I will say I never, ever thought this would happen to me because like you said earlier, Tex, you know, by the time I left medicine, I was told that I could do that job in my sleep. But this summer, I cried on a Zoom call to my colleague in Tulsa because I had the biggest opportunity that I'd had in a long time coming up. And I I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it as well as, you know, I could before the pandemic just because I hadn't been working in the same way for so long. And it kind of, you know, it gave me a lot of appreciation for, you know, the, the fact that people feel like that a lot of the time. And that's actually a very foreign feeling for me. And it's not because I don't push me, myself out of my comfort zone, because I do. But this was, you know, perhaps more to do with external validation as well. And I was thinking about it. I don't think I've cried at work since I was first a junior doctor in the hospital in like 2001. So... The fact that it can happen kind of, you know, 20 years later to somebody that you think it wouldn't happen to or somebody who thinks it would never happen to them, that I think if we're not going through that process of learning to tie our shoes, 
throughout our life, then it comes back to what we said about, you know, we've stagnated and we'll, we'll lose purpose and we'll get old. And, but, but I do think it is, you know, it's difficult at 16. You can't really regulate your emotions very well yet. And there's a, there's a lot of shoe tying that has to be done in, in different guises. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Well, Tex, um, I mean, like, um, like where are the kids struggling? Like, uh, like, is it the fact that they, they're, they're playing this sport, but they can't see that like there's potential to do something out of it, or they're just so focused in like the, like, this is what I worry about sometimes. My kids are so focused in the now that they have like, you know, I, I think age gives you vision where like, you know, you can see like, Hey, if you guys are really good at this, you might be able to do this down the line. And maybe they just can't see past you know, an hour ahead of time, I got to get to lunch to be able to get home and do this. I mean, I'd like. Well, different for everyone, but I just boil it down to uh, lack of reps or experience, just creating a vision beyond their current capability. And as you mentioned earlier, you saw yourself as not a football player where they lock in of I'm this position versus I'm a lacrosse player. Ideally, they can do anything that we ask them to do because that's just the nature of the sport. Some kids go down injuries, they come up and, you know, they may find themselves just the, the free flowing nature of the sport in a position that they've never trained before. And then, um, so it's kind of a self-defeatist attitude almost like, Oh, I'll never be able to play this position. Some. And then, um, just a very emotional reactions. So say they make a mistake or they miss a shot and then we get the, the temper, you know, slam yeah. their stick or, uh, you know, say something. And then a ref, you know, calls them for cursing. Of course, that always happens. But then uh, and this goes back to another interview that we did, Tara, with an amazing coach that John at the NFL and now his team's doing amazing thing in college. Coach Kaz, where he said, if if it's a waste of a rep, if a coach has to go in and then coach their emotional reaction, their negative reaction for a miss, because then he misses the opportunity to then coach them on their technique to become a better football player, lifter, whatever it may be. So it's a lot more of shaping that emotion right now versus the technical skills that they need. Mm -hmm. So where I understand it's necessary, I just want to move on into the technical stuff because season's coming up. But is it... um like, in, I know we have this weird tint on failure being like this negative, um, you know, in the NFL, uh, like for my position, um, like if a defense alignment, I'll just give you an example. If, if I get beat one time and the guy gets a sack, right? If the defense alignment does that one time a game, he goes to the Hall of Fame. He gets six to 17, 16 sacks, sets a single season sack record and goes to the Hall of Fame and goes to the Pro Bowl. So all he really has to do is shine out on one play a game. Whereas 
Uh, if I lose one play and I don't, you know, and maybe out of 70 plays, I play perfect on 68 and he gets a sack or maybe a tackle that's viewed as a negative game for me. So like we managed and, and we were micromanaged with grades, like wins and losses was something we lived and died with. And what's fascinating too, about, uh, about doing jujitsu, I'll take it back to this is, um, like their whole thing is like, you're going to get you're going to get choked out. You're going to get tapped. You're going to get this. Like all of these things are going to happen and it's going to happen a million times. Like you can't like, you know, wins and losses, like they don't even track them. Like everybody taps. And whereas I played in a sport where I wasn't necessarily allowed to lose, this has been an interesting thing where it's like, you know what, like this is a learning process and losing is part of my process. So I sometimes wonder for like, when I hear you talk about these kids, uh, like, is it the pressure that either the coaches, the players themselves or their parents have put on them where they're, they're not allowed to fail because, you know, there's so fine, a few reps, there's so many people that we don't give a kid enough space to like fuck up. Because I remember playing football, like a player would make one mistake and a coach would be in his ass and pull him out. And I remember thinking like, shit, if I make a mistake, I'm not going to get to play anymore. And maybe that's because the the coach's own shortcoming or not understanding the process of like, kids are going to make mistakes. Our job is to like, allow them to like make the mistake and then teach them, you know? Well, I, I assure you the coaching environment is not like that, not similar to a high stress football scenario. Um, and we give the opportunity for kids to feel, hey, what are you feeling right now? So we don't ask them what they're thinking or what happened on that play. Hey, what are you feeling? And then aim to, to shape and coach. And this goes back to one of your chapters, uh, Tara, the uh, master your emotions and mm. giving them a vocabulary of more than just mad, pissed, or yeah. just shut down. It, it, like, and, and giving um, them just aiming to, to craft their craft, their social, excuse me, their emotional intelligence, maybe some social intelligence. Well, it, but is it, um, like when I read that chapter, uh, I related it back to, and I know this is kind of weird, but, uh, if somebody elicits a, a re emotional response from me, I'm giving them domain over me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always thought like if, uh, if well, that, somebody can component. rattle me or, or if somebody or something, whether it, it's a, a person or, or, you know, let's say a physical object or a task, if that can rattle me to the point that it owns domain over me, then no longer am I in control. And now like I'm a passenger in this thing. So if I'm playing against a guy and he beats me on something and I do something, you know, some emotional outburst and he elicits that, yeah. I basically handed him the keys to my, yeah, you know, to, completely. yeah. So like that idea of like failure and inanimate tasks and whatever it is, like if I default to emotion, and it strikes something within me. And I know that it's impossible to control it because shit happens like, uh, you know, terrible things happen. And like, you know, like you don't want to be, you know, like uh, I think it's a negative if something happens and you basically turn it into yourself and shut down opposed from being like, like this is, you know, like, so does that make sense? Like the idea it of like- It makes complete sense to me, but I, I think it's important for us to qualify that A, these particular people are 16, but also whether it's our age, you and I particularly have done a lot of work on cultivating that ability. And in my twenties, I was not extremely emotionally regulated, but, um, you know, something happened to me recently and for most people, it would be very, very upsetting. And a few people said to me, how are you okay? How are you not fighting this or really upset about it. And I said, because 
other people can decide whatever they want to do, but they cannot affect my emotions. That's, that's down to me. Well, that's the idea of not handing people domain, but man, it's, uh, it's a constant fight. And then like, yeah. you know, like, uh, this feeling of like, and then, you know, then the other thing you, you risk the, there's the risk of like emotionally turning off, which, uh, you know, I'm sure people go through this where you just have zero emotion about it. Cause it's easier to kind of take that. And I, I did this too. Uh, when you were talking about doing work, probably in my twenties, I probably turned off emotion because, uh, there was so much, you know, playing football and doing all this, that it was easier to be devoid of emotion than actually deal with it. And it wasn't until later in life when I retired, where I realized like, you know, the lack of empathy and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence yeah. that I had basically yeah. shunned, uh, is going to be probably the single worst thing for being a husband and more importantly, a father, yeah. uh, especially raising daughters. Like, uh, you know, you can probably have written books about, you know, daughters being raised by emotionally closed off or emotionally unavailable men. Um, yeah. and I, that's, uh, something that I have strived to try to fight my way out of, but it was my defense mechanism for the, the job that I did. And look, there's, there's swings of the pendulum on that. So there's people who shut off their emotions and I'm absolutely not saying you should do that. And I think, you know, things like journaling or talking to a therapist or a coach can, or a friend can help with that. And then there's the other extreme where people are very emotional, but that often means that there's a lot of sensitivity about how they are treated, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're emotionally intelligent or compassionate towards others. So it's about having a more curated range of your emotions that doesn't go into devoid or into completely, you know, dysregulated massive amounts of emotion. If, um, if we're going to fight, I mean, like, and, and I know this is, uh, I mean, we're, we're hopefully, uh, farther away from this than we want, but it seems to be, you know, I'm uh, 46 and like now we're at this position where it's like, you think about cognitive aging and, you know, I mean, a bunch, I just was reading a bunch of research. My, my son is a type one diabetic. And, um, so I, I get all these like Google alerts and have this information, whether it be on semiglutide and drugs are doing, but there's also uh, some really fascinating connections between like Alzheimer's and diabetes. Um, you know, and like, you know, one of the fastest ways to beat off type two diabetes is lose weight and exercise. We talked about aerobic yeah. capacity, all this. I mean, if we're really going to, um, you know, fight off Alzheimer's and, and dementia and these things that are really striking us, which it feels like at an alarming rate, uh, you know, the amount of cases and diagnosis, especially for people in their like sixties has gone up astronomical numbers. I mean, before 20 years ago, it was something that might've happened cognitively in your, you know, eighties and nineties, but now we're seeing people as early as their fifties being diagnosed with this stuff. And, uh, you know, they go back to like, um, you know, if you read, uh, what is it? Um, Dr. Shannon Swan's book countdown, it's environmental from BPAs and all the stuff in our environment from glycophosphate and all the stuff that's being, you know, stuck on us, uh, down to, you know, shitty diet, a lack of exercise, sedentary lifestyle. I mean, all these confounding kind of, uh, nature and nurture things compounding to make this a reality. I'm just wondering, like, as, uh, from your position, um, you know, how do we fight this off? And more importantly, how do we fight this battle? Yeah, um, you know, I do think that the current and impending dementia crisis is one of the things that we need to take most seriously as a global community. And the environmental stuff, as individuals, we have less control over. But, you know, as you know, I, I grow my own food and I, you know, I try not to use any plastic packaging and things like that. Um, 
But the second one that you talked about is one that we have an enormous amount of control over um, in terms of our movement and our food choices, but also in terms of managing our stress. So, you know, one of the things I was reading about during the pandemic, because people were laying down more belly fat, is that once you have a certain amount of visceral fat, which is the fat that sits around your abdominal organs, it becomes like an endocrine organ of its own. And it is secreting hormones that are interacting with um, the insulin and other hormones that your pancreas is releasing, and which is, you know, what is the basis of diabetes. And so things like that, your, your um, amount of visceral fat also relates to the earlier threshold of reaching dementia symptoms. So moving, staying fit, healthy, plant-based food choices, clean, and, you know, not sort of, you know, sustainable or environmentally kind of, you know, conscious living as much as possible. These, these are the things that we can do, but of everything that I've said, I always say, yeah, these are the ideal practices for a super healthy and long life, if that's what you want, but don't stress about it because it's the stress that will kill you. Stress kills brain cells and dementia is a result of loss of brain cells over time, plus obviously the actual pathologies like um, amyloid plaques and tau proteins and um, tangles, neurofibrillary tangles. Um, and since the Nobel Science Prize winning research from 2013 on the glymphatic system, the importance of sleep is, is super important in terms of preventing dementia as well. I mean, but it's pretty, uh, pretty established as people age, they lose the ability to sleep. I mean, that's... Uh... They need to sleep less. Yeah, okay. As you age, you need to sleep less. But I'm talking more about... Um, no, I'm just saying as, as, as people age, I mean, they just like lose. I mean, I remember my dad, like maybe three hours at, at, in spots. And I remember like, this is something that like m most men, I mean, maybe women too, as they age, they somehow lose. And they, I don't know why that, that would be. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of medical reasons for it, whether it be hormonal, lack of exercise. I mean, all these different factors, mm -hmm. but it feels like something that we just inherently should be able to do, but it feels like it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle for some people, but like I said, as much as you can to make sure that the length and the quality is as good as possible of your sleep. And then, you know, as much as you can not be sedentary and, you know, make certain food choices, they're all things that will, and, and new learning, any new learning um, makes the age that you're likely to show dementia symptoms later. So, so all of those things. And as you said, it, you know, it's a new sort of almost new year episode that, micro habits so bringing three or four of these things into your life for the first three months of the year small things that are easy for you to make into habits and then picking you know two or three or one or two things more as you go through the year that the year that I did that was the first time I got to the end of the year and thought I have 10 habits now that I don't even think about they're just what I do hmm. that's gonna be a good feeling because we we get a lot of January resolution people who are looking John's to make a, a life I am not a resolutionist. I uh, no. I like uh, there's two things I, I won't do. I won't start something new at the at the beginning of a new year, and I won't start anything on a Monday. So I found that Mondays are national get ready to get ready day. When people are like, "Oh, I'll start on Monday. I'll start on Monday." You got to start mm. everything on like a Thursday or a Wednesday. 
Um, then the other thing is the people with the resolutions like, oh, this year I'm going to do it. And I'm like, then start it a month before, start it before Christmas, start it before Thanksgiving. And yeah. if you can do it through Thanksgiving and the new year, it's probably going to be better. Don't wait like, oh, I'll just eat and do this and this and this and have a bunch of drinks. And I'll start on January 1. No, no, no. Start before Thanksgiving. Follow it. And then just be like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this one day. I'm going to get right back on it. I found What that about a day late? Um, what about starting on a Tuesday? I'd be okay with starting on a Tuesday. I just find most things I do better, I start on a Thursday. January 2nd. Ah, it's bad. Doc, I'm going to show you my uh, action board. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. So I'll take you through it. Um, can you see? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start with this one. So I got Arnold Schwarzenegger here, and I'm not posting this for uh, any other reason other than I hurt my shoulder, and I was lacking shoulder mobility, and oh. I really liked the picture for the fact that he's, like, holding his arms up in the position yeah. that I wish I could get into. So, like, like as I'm stretching my shoulder, it's that picture is great. Uh, this is a, a picture of a truck that I'm working on. Uh, here's ones with me and my family and my kids, us doing funny faces. And this is a, another truck that I have in our, our yard that I'd love to restore one day. Um, here's the rock crawler, uh, truck that I'm actually building in our garage as well. Uh, I posted a picture. This is me right there. Um, for when I played with the Eagles, just because I thought it was cool to kind of remember something from the past. Uh, I had a picture of Mike Tyson cause I always liked the way he approached walking in the ring was all business. Um, I took a, uh, a class in college on the Rome, Roman form and we were supposed to culminate with actually going to Rome and going to the Roman form. And when I never went to Rome, so it's like my, oh. my greatest regret is not going okay. to Rome for my class. So I constantly remind that on my bucket list. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a mercury that, uh, just a picture, um, I bought uh, a mercury and my dad and I cruised it. I drove it from Indianapolis to Kansas city and, uh, I still have the car and it reminds me of my pop. Um, I weld and fabricate and build trucks. So I posted a picture of a pretty cool weld. And then my favorite Seneca quote, which is uh, mm -hmm. a gem cannot be polished without friction and a man can, uh, what is it? Perfected without trials. And then uh, mm. a healthy brain lifting weights. I, love, I saw that. I love yeah. that. And then uh, I trust actions, not words. So yeah, this was uh, kind of a, Oh, and then uh, just a big elk and like a cave drawing stuff. So the idea of like hunting and connecting more with nature. So, yeah. um, you know. And you did this activity with your girls. Yeah. So I, I sat down and asked them like questions on like, like what type of things they were into, what they wanted to master. And just basically like asked them all these questions and went and uh, downloaded pictures and made them action boards. Uh, I put a bunch on there and then I gave them a bunch more and asked them to put mm -hmm. it up. And then periodically, like when they start something new, I'll, I'll print out a picture and just change it out for them. So great. Yeah. So uh, my, my one daughter was swimming a bunch and she was swimming like five days a week and they like she was in the pool for like 90 minutes. So um, eventually she started feeling kind of sick. So we took her to the doctor and it turned out that she was having um, some form of reaction to all the chlorine in the pool. So she was having some thyroid issues. So we pulled her out of there for 30 days, instantly felt better. So uh, um, I started taking her to jujitsu. And so I changed out her swimming one with a jujitsu one. And then my other daughter, like, uh, you know, she, she rides horses. So like her one horse was white. Now she's on a brown horse. So I kind of changed the horses out. And, uh, and then for my son, I changed different things. But uh, it's good. And they always ask me. And I'm like, you know what? Like, if you can see it, it becomes the reality. And a great practice for kids from that age. Yeah, no, I, it, it was, uh, it felt like, um, I hate to say this, it felt like low-hanging fruit. 
Like, uh, yeah. it, it was, yeah, yeah. It, it was easy to get aboard, uh, talk to him, ask him these questions. And, uh, what's also cool too, is, um, where I take my daughter to jiu-jitsu, same place I go, it's a bit of a drive. So we get probably 20, 30 minutes in the car together. And mm-hmm. so we either like, uh, she can either listen to a podcast, we can listen to a book on tape, or we can just talk. And it's been really interesting. Like the interaction that we've had has been so great that, uh, somebody was like, why don't you go to a closer place? I'm like, yeah, but then I wouldn't get an hour in the day with my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so having that interaction has been good, but yeah, the, the action boards are, have been a really fun piece because, and I, I do like the idea of it's not a vision board, it's an action board. So I'll have yeah. to break that out on them. Wonderful. Well, That's made Tara, me so happy. for our listeners that didn't get the opportunity to listen to 377 Power Athlete <laughs> Radio yet, what are some first steps that we can take to starting and creating an action board? Um, have some sort of idea of the things that you would like to bring into your life or the feeling that you would like to have in your life. Um, and across areas like home, health, fitness, travel, career, love. Um, and then either do what John does, which is like search for the images on the internet and print them out or do it completely digitally on, on something like Pinterest. But ideally, if it's your first time, get some magazines and like have that tactile experience and be open to maybe finding an image that is a bit more metaphorical or of something that you didn't know that you wanted, but then you see it in the magazine and you want it. Start cutting out and collecting images and then, you know, get a board, lay them out, kind of decide whether you want space or you want it full and what that means to you. You can either have it in different sections, like themes, a bit like John had, or you can decide whether you want things to be connected or not. And at some point you have to, you know, glue it down and, and, and start making it come true. I heard in another interview that you put your action board in somewhere in your house where everyone could see it. Yeah. So I did do that when I was, was starting up my coaching business and it actually had the amount of money that I wanted to earn on it, which is very (laughs) un-English to talk about things like that. So that was a real motivator for me, but obviously only like close friends were, it was in the bathroom, you know, the sort of downstairs bathroom in the house. So yeah, people would see it. And because, you know, you have to feel that you deserve it and you're worth it. You, you can't be ashamed of it because then it's definitely not going to work. I, uh, I went to a, a party one time and uh, in the guest bathroom, they, uh, they had painted the entire room in black chalkboard paint. And they left uh, chalk in there and people had done like murals and drawings and like weird, it was the uh, most interesting thing that I'd ever seen. And so I always secretly, and I got vetoed when we redid our bathrooms. I was like, I told my wife, I'm like, I want to paint the bathroom black with chalkboard paint. She's like, we ain't doing that. I'm like, okay, I get it. But one day I will secretly have my own room that has my own black chalkboard yeah. paint. And I will. A man yeah. cave. Yeah. The, well, we, we have yeah. several man caves, but I don't have a place for that. But I just thought that was interesting in that like people started like doing murals and hopes and dreams. So maybe like the a wall that you get to draw on mm-hmm. might be kind of like a change in action board. So yeah, I had, what's funny is uh, you said like spacing. I clammed as many pictures and didn't want to have any space on there, which is probably yeah. like a good indicator of my life. Yeah. And uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't glue anything down. Uh, I used push pins because I wanted oh, the ability. I well, I, I know, but like I was thinking like, man, 
if you glued it, and maybe gluing it works for some people where you're like, you know what, these are static goals. And uh, the only way I'm getting it off is to have to destroy the board. Whereas I looked at it like, uh, I'm going to change things out at random. So maybe there's Sometimes a Sometimes I glue over, but usually I start a completely new one every year. What, no. Like on the New Year's or you mid-year? <laughs> is that like usually, a Tuesday? <laughs> usually I make it in December so it's ready for January, but it doesn't oh. have to be ready for January 1st. Do you do you take a picture? Uh, do you take a picture of the old ones and kind of like categorize them away and then like redo the next you one? You know, I wish I had done that, but I I'm surprised to find that I I didn't always do that, so I don't have all of them unfortunately. But I kind of vaguely remember what they were. My my uncle's a cartoonist. Um, if, have you seen the Chevron cars, John? All the Clay Mason commercials. Mm -hmm. So that's that's all him. Oh wow! Um, but he in college he had a, a running cartoon in the newspaper. And following his college career, he got all the original copies and just just burned them all. So that was it. He oh. didn't want he didn't want to hold on to it. He just wanted to move on and and continue to like, create more. Uh, so I mm. mean, he's extremely successful just as an artist, which is cool. But sure. I always found that note interesting from him. Well, I mean. Yeah. Uh, um it's a pretty interesting kind of stake in the ground. Like there's a, there's another quote that I actually have going on my new action board, which is if a man has no destination, no wind is favorable. Ah, uh, yeah. I love that. You know, so that's what that, yeah. that's my next quote, which is, um, it's pretty interesting. Like you think about, you know, like is a favorable wind depends on what direction we're going. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a good one of like deciding where you want to go and then seeing how it gets there. But I think, um, Man, I mean, it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting that we got the opportunity to talk to you pre-COVID and post. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's been fascinating to see not only the evolution of it, but realize that, um, you know, probably people needed your book and this information so much more going through and coming out of this, uh, you know, event that I, I don't think has ever happened in, in yeah, society. Not since the last World War has, has such a stressful global event happened. Wow. Wow. Hopefully we can, uh, what was it, Doris Keating's Goodwin said, uh, you know, people are resilient and uh, we're not that fragile. So hopefully that's the, that's the case. Hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else, McQuicken? Well, uh, where could people learn more? I know we got the book, you got the podcast, any other cool things on the horizon, on the, on the board? Oh, anything, you, anything you want to push in pub? I mean, we'd love to push your stuff out. Thank you. Um, well, I'm Dr. Tara Swart on Instagram, which is where I'm most active. And my podcast is called Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. And it's on Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Google. <laughs> um, and my song that I co-wrote is called Carry On. It's sung by Austin John Winkler. And that's on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Music. Um, and we are, you know, we are working on a TV show, but there's going to be more about that next year. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see it and uh, love to talk more about it one day. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you again for joining Power Athlete Radio. Thanks, Doc. Bye. Thank you.